Well, Merry Christmas. Could I have all of the children join me up here, thank you, Suzanne, on the Christmas carpet? Right here. Come right up front. I'd love to hang out with you for just a minute. Oh, big kids, too. I like it. Is that everybody? Oh, one more. I just wanted to say a special Merry Christmas to you. Oh, thank you. Do you know what tonight is? And it is, actually it's today's Christmas Eve too, but you're right. Tonight is the hardest night in the entire year for me to sleep. Do you know why? Yeah, and what, and what, what do we find tomorrow morning? Presents. Oh my goodness, when I was a kid, like I couldn't sleep, and one time I was so excited, I actually threw up in the middle of the night, which is pretty gross. Don't do that. I wasn't sick. I was just so excited. <clears throat> well, we've been talking about the Christmas story, and you might know something about the Christmas story. There were some people who brought Jesus some presents as well. Do you remember who they were? The wise men? Wise men, also known as, do you know the other name for him? Well, shepherds came too, yeah. Magi, they were kind of like kings. We three kings, right? We sing that song. And do you know what they brought? You remember what their gifts were? What? Gold, like this. <laughs> Gold is heavy. You want to feel how heavy that is? All right, go ahead. I'll be careful though. It's not heavy. Oh my gosh. You must eat your vegetables. Do you want to hold on to that for me for just a second? All right. So gold, and then what else did they bring? Gold. Go ahead, just shout it out. Franco mints, right? <laughs> this is what my kids thought. Gold and Franco mints. Ever since they were little. And they were dead serious about it. Right, Sadie? And Sadie, who turns 22, is that right? In just a couple days... She'll climb into our bed tomorrow morning. We'll read the Advent story, and she's going to say that the wise men brought gold and myrrh. What was it really? Frankincense. Frankincense, right. But we're also going to pretend it was Franco mints. And here's the deal. After the sermon, if it's okay with your parents, you can come up here and have a Franco mint as a little Christmas treat. How about that? Only the, only the little kids, though. <laughs> right? And myrrh, right? Which is a very strange word. Um, but it was like anointing. It was like it was something very important. So here is what I would like you to do. You're in here in big churches, we call it, with your moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandpas. But I would like you to listen for a couple things when I talk to everybody. I want you to listen of why these three presents were so important. I want you to listen for why did the wise men, the magi, come? And then there's a special surprise. There's a twist. There's something at the end of the story that is actually for all of us. Can you do that? All right. And don't forget about the Franco mints after the service. Can I pray for you? And then you can go back with your, with your families? All right. Dear God, you love, love, love children. They made you smile. You lifted them up. In fact, you told 
your disciples, don't stop letting the little children come to me. And so, God, I just pray a blessing over them. May they know you this Christmas as you make yourself so real and present to them and their families. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Hopefully I'll see you after service. Careful, that's... That <clears throat> you got to be kidding me. That is heavy. All right. <clears throat> Well, friends, I've been looking forward to this morning for a long time, ever since the fall, when I returned back from one of our retreats, and Dan turned around at Oak Brook and shouted three rows back from where I was sitting, do you want to preach on Christmas Eve? I said, sure, I've got nothing in the calendar, as a matter of fact. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I was one of the pastors, maybe I still am like a pastor emeritus at Christ Church for many years. Wow. And uh, had the privilege, one of the last things I did before we transitioned off staff was to really envision to help Christchurch move into its multi-site uh, season. And so we had multiple locations. We watched churches come together. We've had three or four names. We've had COVID. Uh, it's a miracle we're still here, but just look around. Uh, I get to tell that story all the time because whenever I'm introducing myself to people, I give them a little bit of my bio, my history, and I'm so proud of what has been built and what continues to build and grow here. You are part of a special work, and I brag about you all the time, so just know that. <clears throat> I had this little nostalgic moment uh, when I entered in, and the band was rehearsing, and I had my microphone on, and we hadn't done the sound test yet, but I was like, wow, this is kind of like the old days, and I loved it. Well, we have been on a magical journey, or you might say, magical journey, uh, as we've traveled with these wise men, these magi, who have gone on a journey to see Jesus, to worship him, and to present him uh, with their gifts. And if you've not heard all the messages, uh, I would encourage you to go to our media library on the website, because you will learn a lot of the history and context and some nuances to a story that oftentimes we just kind of read and have one Christmas song about. But just so you know, if you weren't here on the very first week when uh, uh, our lead pastor, Dan Meyer, uh, told us about the Magi, I thought I would just do a recap because <clears throat> it's going to matter as we talk about these treasures that they brought. <clears throat> Magi were from Persia, the land of the Medes, as you read in the Old Testament, where the infamous Babylon was. Where, where Israel and Judah, where they were exiled out of their home, out of their country, into this land where Daniel was part of that group that went. You might remember Daniel and the lion's den in some of these stories. Uh, it was likely that the Magi were Zoroatarians, or Zoroastrians. Never have to preach this sermon. Uh, but it was a religion that actually believed that there was one God. And this God could be known and figured out through three big buckets or categories. One was the study of the natural world, like astronomy. The second was through the historical patterns on earth by paying attention to history and its movements. And the third was the study of the religion and traditions of other people. They were, they were like putting puzzles together all the time, watching and trying to discern the times. And in fact, how amazing that they were the ones that figured it out. Not even the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and those who you thought may have figured out 
when this new king would be born, king of the Jews. They were scholars known for amassing enough wisdom that the kings of the ancient world would frequently seek their counsel on important matters of religion, science, law. In fact, the word magistrate, as Dan reminds us, comes from the word magi, a term referring to somebody who figures things out and establishes practical responses to the conditions around them. Because of the magi's knowledge, because of the influence that they had, in the cultures where they lived, they also served as political advisors. Nebuchadnezzar consulted them when he had dreams that needed interpreted and so forth. And they were also kingmakers, validating the, the royalty and the, and the inauguration of new kings. Which is very interesting because in the book of Matthew, if you go back and read chapter one, it has all of these names. What Matthew Unlike the other Gospels, this is the only one that has a story of the Magi in it, is dead set on establishing as Jesus as king. And isn't it interesting that these kingmakers show up figuring out the puzzle? So these Magi, <clears throat> discerning the signs, go on an adventure to pay homage, respect, honor, to worship this infant king bringing with them their gifts and their treasures. Let's hear how Matthew tells it in chapter 2, verse 11. It says, On coming to the house, Mary and Joseph's house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. I love the first thing they do is worship. Then, it says, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankomints, and myrrh. They must have kept him chilled somehow on the way. Today, we have the advantage of, of looking back. <clears throat> we have the, the, the whole spectrum of Scripture. We have years and years and years of brilliant theologians and our, and our own people that could put the puzzle pieces together that we have perhaps a fuller knowledge than the people of the day had as they were experiencing these things in real time. And that's good and that's helpful. Sometimes we can go too far. Sometimes we can import our own stories or too much of what we want into that fuller knowledge. We're not going to do that today. What I want us to do, though, is pull on this bigger picture, this fuller understanding that we have, along with some historical notes, along with Scripture, so that we can consider just why were these three gifts significant? And why did the Magi even come? And to consider what we bring, or maybe better yet, what are we seeking from Jesus this Christmas season, and to discover at the end perhaps the greatest twist of all, but I will save that for later. I want to just highlight these three gifts because it's really incredible. The first was gold, heavy gold, uh, but gold symbolizes kingship. In the ancient world especially, and maybe even sometimes today, gold was just, it's what you gave to kings, a tribute. When you that when a nation conquered another, they would take their gold. Gold was a symbol of power, of kingship, of tribute. In the book of 1 Kings, when Solomon, King Solomon was in his reign, we read, when the queen of Sheba heard about all the fame of King Solomon and the relationship with the, with the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a great caravan, with camels carrying spices and large quantities of gold, 
and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. I wonder if the scene of the Magi, these kingmakers, these esteemed people, did they have a caravan? Was it, was it something noticeable? But you notice that the Queen of Sheba brings a tribute, brings gold in honor of Solomon. The newborn king in our story gets a king's tri- tribute by these kingmakers. But what's interesting is I doubt, I doubt they would have known that who they were honoring would be not just a king, but the king of all kings and lord of lords. Next we have the Francomints, the frankincense, which was actually a very esteemed incense that, that was symbolized that of priests. It symbolized the presence of God. It was used only for the most special anointing ceremonies. It was, would have been in the Holy of Holies in Exodus chapter 30, and we just did this long series on Exodus, another great one to go back and listen to. When God is setting up how society and worship and their faith was going to work, in Exodus chapter 30, we read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Do not make any of the incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. This wasn't common every day. It was set apart. It was holy. And this prized incense was brought to Jesus, who the writer of Hebrews would, be, would call him the, the great high priest who ushers us into the very presence of God. Little would they know how true that is. And then thirdly, we have myrrh, the strangest spelled word in the English dictionary, I think. Um, but it's a symbol, I think, of sacrifice. This, this, again, anointing oil reserved only for the most special of occasions sometimes would be brought to families in the celebration of a new child as a gift, but oftentimes it accompanied burials. And the Magi would have no idea, nor would the parents of Jesus, just how important the role of myrrh would play in the life of Jesus In John 19, after the resurrection, in the Gospel of John, we read later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, who was still crucified on the cross. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders, he went to Pilate for permission, and he came and he took the body. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, a man who earlier had visited Jesus at night, and Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds that would cover the body of Jesus in honor and in purification. I step back and say, you just can't make this stuff up. I mean, think about it. You've got a group of king-making Gentiles, wise men from Persia, where the Lord came, who his name was made known, through an exile with Daniel and a whole nation of people bringing with them their religion, bringing with them the name of Yahweh, bringing with them their scriptures and their faith, displaying power that this God is unlike any other God. So that would pique the interest of perhaps other Zoroastrians 
back then, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, that through the generations they continued to study, and they found the fulfillment of Scripture, bringing three gifts to this newborn king that would actually foreshadow the life of this child that still calls us together to worship today, to come to him with a mission to make him known throughout all of this world. That's not just a magical story. That's an incredible story. But there's one question that continues to to just bang around in my mind. The question is why? Why did they come? What were they seeking? There had to be something more because if you noticed, it would have taken a lot of effort to go from Persia all the way to Bethlehem or Jerusalem and Bethlehem on their route. I mean, they likely would have had because they had some wealth, caravans and food and tents and servants plus their treasures, plus who knows, maybe even some guards, people to protect them because it would have been a dangerous journey through the desert to make it probably for months they would have traveled. This was no small thing and we see no one else No other king or kingdom near Jerusalem or Israel nor far away made this journey even though the signs were all right there. The question is why? What were they seeking? And that question has really challenged me over this season, over this season of life. What am I seeking from God? What am I seeking from Jesus? What is it that I need to be honest with him about not just what I'm bringing but I wonder what are you seeking as well because you see I believe we're seeking in every season and stage of life in times of crisis to the mountaintop in quiet times of study and prayer I think we just God has made us with seeking hearts hearts that were meant to seek him ultimately but how often we can take our eyes off of Jesus off of God and and seek fulfillment in things in the created world, things outside of us, but it's all meant to point us right back to him. I wonder what it is that you're seeking this season. My friend and mentor, Dr. Bill Donahue, uh, was a a very influential person in the small groups movement for uh, a couple decades. I had the privilege of uh, not just journeying with him, but he invited me to consult with churches around the country. It's part of the reason why I came to Christ Church to help us transition to more of a community-based model of discipleship. Some, maybe is it 18 years ago now uh, or so, 17 or 18 years. But he, uh, Bill wrote several books, and one of my favorite that he wrote was one called In the Company of Jesus. He wrote a lot of books about for small groups, but this book was about Jesus. And what it is all about is what people were seeking and how Jesus came to people throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, surveying every story and putting together this collage of all the ways that people came to Jesus, what they were seeking. And I want to just let Bill be our guide and share with you some of his discoveries and see what rings true for you. What are you seeking? Some of you are seeking a provocative teacher who, who shelters our illusions, who blows, blows our mind, who can renew our mind and change the way we think. 
a teacher who can expose our motives, who will confront our unbelief, who will prod our transformation through his parables and his sermons on a mount when he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you, clarifying the scriptures. Some of you come to Jesus, you're seeking this provocative teacher that would expand your mind. Some of you are seeking a sacred friend who shares in your, in your sufferings, who sticks closer than a brother and a friend, who desires your fellowship. He knows you by name, who guards your trust and who celebrates you, who takes joy in us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Some of you are seeking a truth revealer who describes our Father in heaven, who discloses our identity, who actually tells us who we are as his beloved, who uncovers our path and reveals our past and reveals a future, who exposes our needs, our true needs, offering us living water when we think perhaps we're just thirsty, who unveils our destiny to be with him for eternity. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not told you? Perhaps some of you are seeking an extreme forgiver in this season of life who can handle and hear our confessions. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Who invites our repentance. Go and sin no more. Who cancels our debt. Who takes on our punishment so we can be free. Who restores our relationship with God and one another if we will allow it. Learning to love and forgive as we have been loved and forgiven. Perhaps some of you are seeking an authentic leader who will release your strength in good and healthy and positive ways, who will align your vision with his, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, who demands our devotion. Will you take up your cross and follow me? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their very soul? who demands our devotion, who redeems our failures. As Peter learned after he denied Christ and the rooster crowed, Jesus reinstates him by just simply coming to him and asking him questions. Do you love me? Jesus, who rewards our obedience by giving us abundant life despite our circumstances. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Perhaps some of you are... (laughs) needing and seeking a compassionate healer in this season of life who cries our tears as he did with the family of Lazarus, who binds our wounds like a good shepherd, who carries our burdens so we do not have to do life alone, who covers our shame as the woman at the well learned, who restores our community when we love like him. In fact, he prayed that we would love him and be with him as he's with the Father. Perhaps what you are seeking is a relentless lover who invites our intimacy beyond what words can express. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Who desires our faithfulness even if it costs us everything. Who respects our individuality. He calls you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Who protects our vulnerability. Saying no one will ever snatch you out of my hand who releases our joy 
and makes us complete by filling us with his joy. Or perhaps you're seeking a supreme conqueror, a God who will help us conquer our enemies, who chooses our weapons, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, who supplies our strength because his grace, his grace is sufficient for you and for me, who secures our victory even over death and who celebrates our triumph because we can overcome this world. What are you seeking from Jesus this year, this season, this Christmas? Think about it. Be honest and ask why. Because I think when we ask why, we peel back the layers and we allow God to enter in, to be with us in a way where just maybe the, the good stuff, where transformation, where he, where he changes lives, if we will be honest and ask why and allow him in. This is a great time of year to do that. The Christmas season is so reflective, and as we enter a new year, it's just one of those times to take inventory. So ask yourself, not just what am I bringing, but what am I seeking from Jesus? To close, I want to... <clears throat> I want us to, to think about the one who the prophets talked about. As the Magi and discerned and figured out, the King of kings and Lord of lords, as we come to bring Jesus our gifts, as we come to worship him, as we come personally seeking something for Jesus with the hope and faith that he hears us and he actually cares, let me share with you one more reality that is the greatest of all that in our seeking, we actually are giving something to receive. Jesus says, the greatest gift I can give you is myself. Jesus gives us himself. He's not a God that, that is far away. He is Emmanuel, God with us, who stepped out of heaven, who entered into our world. And not only that, he promises to enter our very lives, to come into our soul, or maybe a better way is to say maybe he invites our life to be filled with his. He invites us into his life so that we can be whole and complete, that we can find peace and love and joy and hope. This gift is never earned. <laughs> it's certainly not deserved, at least not by me. It is a gift of grace through love, and it can only be received by faith for anyone who would simply let go so that a greater story can begin to live. We have the fuller picture that the, the scriptures give us. In the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, we see the final triumph, which starts with a newborn king ends with this triumph, with newness bursting throughout the whole earth. And we hear these words. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's a picture of intimacy. It's a picture of companionship, fellowship. It's the picture of presence and being with one another and together with one another in a magical time, in a magical time, 2,000 years ago, there was a knock at the door of Mary and Joseph. 
And some men were there coming to worship, bringing their treasures, bringing their gifts. These king-making men coming to see Jesus, seeking something, and I believe they found it. But friends, today there is another knock at the door. And it's Jesus. And he's knocking on the door of your heart, of your life. And the question is, have you opened that door? Have you let him in? Or maybe better, will you open that door? Will you let him in to receive the greatest gift of all, the salvation of your souls? If not, today is the day. Open that door and let a new magical story unfold in your life. Would you pray with me? Father God, we stand amazed at the story, the arc of your story from beginning to end of Scripture. That God, you come to us as every single one of those things, as a teacher and a friend, as a companion, a healer, a conqueror, and so much more. God, for each one here, I pray that they will open themselves and humbly admit what is it that they are seeking. Because God, we know you here. We know you're listening. But God, even more, may they find the greatest gift of all, the very life of your son, King Jesus, who is knocking on the door, ready to come in for everyone who would simply bow a knee, worship, and offer their life. God, may no one within the sound of my voice leave here without knowing you in that kind of personal way. Lord, we praise you and we give you all the glory this Christmas, for it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen.